Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studios, it's time for Workplace MVP. Workplace MVP is brought to you by R3 Continuum, a global leader in workplace behavioral health and security solutions. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gassman. Hi, everyone. Your host, Jamie Gassman here, and welcome to this episode of Workplace MVP. According to a recent study performed by Mental Health America, only 5% of employees surveyed indicated that they strongly agree that their employer provides a safe environment for employees who live with mental illness. With the increased availability of workplace resources and tools for ensuring the psychological safety of their employees, along with the increase in conversations globally about reducing the stigma of mental health, particularly in the workplace, this stat seems to indicate that there's still a level of discomfort with employees being open and honest with their employers about their mental health in a large majority of workplaces. Which leads to the question of how can leaders within organizations help their employees to feel psychologically safe and to create work environments that invite open dialogue about how employees are truly feeling? Are there ways to create an environment that invites vulnerability creates a feeling of safety for being open and honest with leadership, breaking down those walls of fear that so many employees are likely still having. Well, today we have two wonderful MVPs that will share from their perspective, personal experiences and approaches for how organizational leadership can create a psychologically safe work environment. And with that, the benefits it can have on the employee, leader and organization overall. With us is Colton Mulligan, CEO of Fox Fuel Creative, and Jackie Chu, entrepreneur and mental health advocate. Welcome to the show, Jackie and Colton. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Wonderful. So we'll start off with our first workplace MVP, who is Jackie Chu, entrepreneur and mental health advocate. Share with us, Jackie, a bit about your background and how you came to be a mental health advocate. Thank you, Jamie, for having me. Uh, I have been on this journey since being diagnosed in 2006, 2005. It's been a long time. And so uh, I, I was diagnosed at a time where mental health, uh, mental illness was not discussed. It was, there was still a heavy, heavy stigma around, around it. And um I lived with it, and I for the first few years I lived in in silence and in fear and in shame uh, with what I had. I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder in two thousand and five, uh, and 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 I own at the time uh, I owned my own business. I had a a marketing consultancy, and my uh, my main clientele were. And they still are um, high growth startups uh, that were that are either angel backed or venture capital backed. And those cultures tend to have a very hard charging, high performance base type culture. And uh, and those I, I didn't realize it at the time, but uh, those are definitely stress. They're stressors They're there. They are conditions that exacerbate um, my my illness. So today, though, I'm happily after um, after years of psychotherapy, and uh, I continue my treatment protocol. I am uh, managing my condition quite a bit better. Um, 
So, and here I am. Great. Yeah. Great to hear kind of some personal experience that you've worked through. So from your perspective, you know, taking that personal experience into account, when you look at the stat that only 5% of employees strongly agree that their workplace is a safe environment for those with a mental illness, what are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, sadly, the the stigma behind mental health and, and just the dialogue around it is, I mean, there's there's still such shame. I um, Unfortunately, I, I recently had a conversation actually just a week and a half ago with um, a young professional uh, who is who was very concerned. I mean, she, she had um, an anxiety, she, you know, she felt anxious. She had already been diagnosed with depression and she was very, very afraid of losing her job. And she was, um, there was, there were so many stresses going on with her job that it, it sort of exacerbated her, her symptoms and she had no one to talk to. And her, her situation is, is really very, common, uh, it's still really difficult to talk about a person, you know, your, say, your depression or your bipolar disorder or your um, your recent manic episode and how it's affecting your job to your supervisors, your managers, because there's this fear that, oh my gosh, I, I can't, I don't want to tell my manager about it, but yet I know I'm not performing to my usual level. And I know, you know, I'm going to be evaluated. My quarterly MBOs are coming up and, and all of this just builds and, and uh, it's a cumulative effect that, that just exacerbates all the symptoms um, of someone with bipolar disorder or depression. And it, it just, it, it's very common, unfortunately. And I've, it's quite unfortunate, but with COVID and the isolation that we have all had to go through of being alone, uh, of being locked down, it's just even for those of us who don't have a chemi- chemical brain imbalance, you know, we are, there are many um, everyday folks who are being diagnosed with cl- clinical depression. So this sort of a thing is more and more common but unfortunately the the sense of safety that that we can talk about it at work just as we could talk about you know our blood pressure or our heart condition um, or how we're doing better now because uh, our, our blood pressure is better because we're taking better care of ourselves we're exercising and so on and so forth we can talk about that but yet we we still can't talk about our mental wellness or the lack thereof um, and, and that's a real issue. And that's what that 5% statistic is all about is there is so much misinformation, disinformation, and misconception around mental illness. Um, and I, I don't think workplaces, I don't believe, are doing enough to, to train their managers and their supervisors to detect um, symptoms or signs of distress in, in employees, which is unfortunate. Yeah. And, you know, you bring up a good point about kind of leaders doing enough and, and, you know, when we connected previously, you mentioned that it was important that leaders educate themselves on mental illness. Can you talk a little bit about how you 
how that would be helpful in a work environment and particularly on some of the things that you, you brought up, like with, you know, rising, um, diagnoses from the COVID, you know, working, uh, remote last year, you know, how would that education be able to help these leaders to create more of a open environment for their employees? Um, that's a really good question. I, I think, you know, this, this pandemic has really created a, an interesting dynamic um, because because this because depression or di- diagnosis of depression is and anxiety is so widespread now that the managers themselves are being diagnosed, and so not only are the folks who are uh, not who are individual contributors and uh, who who may you know who may have been diagnosed prior to the pandemic. But the managers who may not, you know, who may be fine prior to that, but because of the pandemic uh, and, and, you know, depression being one of the effects or anxiety being one of the after effects of the lockdown, they're being diagnosed. I think that it has raised a certain, it, it's increased the sensitivity um, to, to want to understand because, you know, when you are a manager and you are all of a sudden diagnosed with something that is that you've not had to think about or not uh, had to even be a basically be educated on you all of a sudden have are faced with the whole range of symptoms yourself and you're getting the treatment protocols and etc etc and I think that makes you more empathetic to to folks at the workplace to the people that you manage um, the people on your team and I mean, perhaps this is rather Pollyanna-ish of me, but I I would hope that this would make leaders, managers, supervisors more empathetic and more um, sensitive to the signs and the symptoms because they themselves are going through treatment. They themselves are wrestling with the many challenges that come their way as someone who's been diagnosed with depression or bipolar disorder or anxiety disorder. So um, I, I truly believe that people who people in that power dynamic who are themselves going through treatment uh, would and are being educated because they have to be uh, are going to be leading the way at work. Um, in creating a more a, a safer workplace, if you would, for for these kinds of issues to be discussed, just as you know, you would discuss uh, teamwork and team collaboration. So, if you think about your work team is your support team for the project. Well, part of that support system could be um, team members better understanding the person who is perhaps not having a good day, not having a good week, um, and being more empathetic and understanding about that. And I suppose with a a leader who has their own diagnosis, they can be a lot more um, open, you know, with their team as well, which can create some of that, um, you know, break down some of that vulnerability, um, you know, or create that environment for, to be more vulnerable and allow people to feel like they can be more open and bring things to their leader that, um, maybe they wouldn't have before because there's a level of understanding. Uh, would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. Um, there's a heightened awareness, I believe, uh, because more and more people are 
getting their diagnosis, they're, they're being diagnosed. And, and so that that is certainly, I think, raising the level of conversation around mental illness. So you also shared in that previous conversation that we had that it was important that a leader not assume that every person with a mood disorder is going to have the same cognitive disability. Can you talk through the impact that that could have if an employer just assumed that it was like a one size fits all with the diagnosis and why they should be looking at it more kind of on an individual basis? Certainly. Uh, so we, it's, it's sort of, um, it's not a project, but we actually know more about space and getting into space or exospace than we know about the way the brain works, unfortunately. And so it, it's very, um, gosh, people, different two people could be diagnosed with bipolar disorder and they both could have there are two versions, bipolar one and bipolar two, and they could both have, they could both be diagnosed with bipolar disorder two, but they could, you know, they could exhibit very, very different symptoms. And uh, the severity could be very, very different as well. So uh, for myself, I, I am a bipolar one, that's, that is my diagnosis. Um, but my generally the uh, I'm I'm really high performing. I, I can perform at a very high level um, so long as I get my sleep and I am eating well and exercising. I am fine. But um, but then there are others uh, who have a really tough time uh, managing the symptoms, um, even with the exercise and the diet and the sleep. And so it, it's it's just very um, it's very it affects people very differently. And once again, it's a not not I'm not a doctor, but I do know that this is a chemical imbalance in the brain that causes at least bipolar disorder, and it affects people very differently because everyone's physiology is just a little different. And um, and so for a manager to assume that say, you know, if, if two people on their team have, um, have say anxiety disorders, depression, that they are going to be the same way. They're, they're going to have the same symptoms and such would, would just be a really bad, sort of a bad assumption. And it could lead to very, um, very inaccurate type of assessments of a person's performance or a person's behavior or attitude or things like that. You know, and we're talking a lot about, you know, creating that open dialogue and, you know, you know, showing that empathy to employees um, who might be, you know, may have a, a mental health diagnosis. You know, there's going to be probably some listeners going, yeah, but we can't ask those questions. We, you know, we've got regulations we have to follow. There's certain HR rules that are applied here. You know, we can't discuss their, their, their um, medical conditions. So from your perspective, you know, how can the leader show support for their employee that has been open about their mental illness without violating those HR rules and regulations so that they can show that empathy, create that open environment, uh, but do so in a way where they're. Um, not putting that employer at risk. Sure, uh, that's always a tricky. That's always a tricky scenario. Um, when the well, as a manager, 
what I generally, what I have done is when someone is struggling, say uh, at work, you know, I, I just as a rule of thumb, regardless of their diagnosis, you know, regardless of whether they've been diagnosed or they've disclosed, I basically say, hey, you know, it, it seems like you're you're really having a tough day. You know, how about taking um, taking a long weekend? So sometimes just just being just being human and being empathetic. Uh, to someone who's clearly having a tough day or a tough week, to just basically say, and, and we all have those, you know, the, regard, you know, regardless of whether we've been diagnosed or not, just just letting them know that they're they're allowed, that they they can take a day off, take a weekend, take a long weekend. The the other thing um, is, you know, most companies, uh, the companies that I've uh, been a part of, have. Uh, as part of the healthcare benefits, um, they have, you know, employees have access to um, to talk therapists as part of the the package. And so, I, I would always, if, for instance, if someone has disclosed that they've uh, they've just lost a, a close family member, it's really, really common for someone with a traumatic life experience to to experience clinical depression. I mean, that is a trigger, a known trigger. And so for something like that, I mean, it, there's there's no HR rule. I mean, you wouldn't quite be violating any rule to say, hey, you know, we have available this particular benefit and um, I just want to make sure that you are aware that it's available to you should you need it. And that is a, it's a caring and a responsible thing for a leader or a manager to do. And, and that also is a great way to, to show that empathy and that support and, you know, through education and understanding what might be a trigger for that employee helps, you know, helps you to be able to spot that when you need to pull some of those other, you know, approaches that could be helpful in that moment without bringing up the actual diagnosis. So that's great, great feedback and um, approaches to use. Um, so looking at your career, what is something that you would say you are just most proud of uh, within your career overall? Gosh. Um, <laughs> well, um, apart from the the obvious, since I work with startups, it's always fantastic when um, the startups that I work with uh, thrive and more than survive but thrive and they um they grow and they scale but actually this might sound a little strange but i'm most proud of feeling empowered and strong enough to fire asshole clients um i have no asshole rule and i'm not sure if i'm supposed to say that on a, on a podcast but um I'm sure y'all can bleep that out. Uh, but, you know, I, I think drawing, uh, drawing boundaries and having boundaries and learning to identify as someone with a bi bipolar disorder diagnosis, um, working with certain kinds of personalities is a trigger. Uh, certain kinds of behaviors are triggers and certain kinds of situations that these kinds of personalities tend to create 
are stressors. And they over time, they can bring on some very, very severe episodes for me. And I've had that happen. And, and so I have essentially a no asshole rule, whereby I, there are certain types of personalities that I will not work with. And if, um, if a client exhibits those behaviors and continues to exhibit those behaviors, despite my conversation with them, I just won't work with them anymore. Um, and it's, I see it as self-preservation. <laughs> And it probably took you a little bit to, you know, to, to get there, but yeah, no, I, I could see where that could be a, a really, you know, proud moment for yourself to have that, you know, empowerment and strength to be able to say what you're willing to, to put up with or put yourself through. So great example. Um, so if our listeners wanted to connect with you, what is the best way for them to do that? Uh, so, I you can, uh, you can reach me at JackieChu.com. That's, that's an easy way. And if you are, um, I have started a, a community-driven um, organization called Brain Babble, P-A-B-E-L. Um, it's, it's in its infancy. So I am on Instagram as Brain Babble. So uh, that is where I'll be sharing tips. And um, I'll be sharing, you know, the latest research and trends sort of uh, demystified and in layman's terms uh, for, for, for caregivers, as well as folks who are um, dealing with mental uh, illness, um, and as well as parents who are taking care of children who've been diagnosed uh, with a variety of new disorders. Great. So we're now going to move to our next workplace MVP. So joining us is Colton Mulligan. He's the CEO of Fox Fuel Creative. Colton, uh, can you share a little background with us and how you came to be the CEO of Fox Fuel? Sure thing. Um, In 2014, uh, I was working at another agency with two people that had uh, basically become my best friends. We looked around and realized there was an opportunity to leave the agency because we were the ones effectively managing half of the agency on the creative services marketing side. So we went to the owners of the business, said we want to buy out our non-compete contracts, start our own agency and, and ask some clients to go with us. They said, okay, and threw out a number that was way more than the three of us had. So uh, I took a second mortgage out of my house. I cleaned out uh, my investments. I borrowed money from my grandmother, doctor friend, and dad, and the partners all scraped money together. And so we bought out our contracts. And on January 1st, 2015, we started Foxfield Creative uh, in my basement. And um, yeah, that was the beginning of it. So I was the CEO and I had two business partners that managed the digital side and then also the creative side of the business. And uh, that same month, I was diagnosed with a type one bipolar disorder. Wow. I'm sure that was quite, uh, um, was it difficult to get that, that diagnosis in that first month or was it, you know, did it answer questions or how did you feel in that moment? 
I mean, it definitely answered a lot of questions. Uh, and I, I kind of, in my little story there, I skipped past a lot of the events of 2014 that led me to that point. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think it was relieving to get, I, I, uh, exact, almost exactly one year prior, I'd been diagnosed with uh, generalized anxiety disorder, ADHD, and major depressive disorder. Uh, bipolar is, is commonly misdiagnosed in the first or second pass. So it was, uh, it was definitely relieving. It was a fun uh, dinner, dinner with my two partners when I was like, hey, update. I know we just formed an LLC and borrowed a whole bunch of money and we're starting this new thing. Update, I've got bipolar disorder. Uh, but I mean, my two business partners, unbelievably supportive, said, hey, you know, understanding the symptoms kind of tracks out with, uh, you know, your manic energy and all that stuff. I, I was pretty good at hiding the downside, but it, it's uh, damn near impossible to hide the upside, the energy, the idea, you know, just all the the passion that comes with that. So. And and it's great that they took it very, very much with open arms and probably helped to answer some questions that they had as well. Um and just love that support that they provided to you um, from the stories that you've told me or that I've seen um, on some of the documentaries that you've done. Um, so from your perspective, you know, why do so many employees still lack a feeling of psychological safety in their work environment? I, I think there's probably a couple factors. Uh, thing one is probably like, it's just awkward for most people. Um, and I, you know, we're not a super corporate environment, but thing too, I would assume that there's all these gray areas within ADA compliance and HR regulations and, oh no, once they disclosed, is there a whole bunch of new protocols I have to have? So I would almost say there's one, like the, the lack of clarity for a lot of professionals in the HR space, what you're supposed to do. And then there's also like the personal side of it. It's just like, you know, among just humans in general, when somebody says, you know, it's a, a weighty thing. And a lot of folks just aren't prepared for like, how do I go through that conversation saying something beyond, oh, I'm so sorry. Let me know how I can help and I'll pray for you. Like outside of those two things, most people are just like, I don't, I don't know what to say. So if you were in that situation, you can tell that like, if, what would you have them say from your perspective, like with your, your two partners, um, if you, if you could have like the ideal response from somebody, what would that, what would that sound like? Normally, I mean, that's an interesting question. Uh, and it's one that I get asked commonly. Like I wind up doing a lot of coffees and meetups with folks, uh, where they just ask, Hey, my brother got diagnosed or I have this employer or whatever, what should I do? And there's, there's an odd way to say it, which is like, if you don't have a framework or sandbox or an ongoing conversation slash relationship with that person where you have regular check-ins on headspace or a depth in your relationship, you're, you're kind of behind the eight ball on that. So you can start fostering that. But like with our employees, I'm in a comfortable space when somebody says like, I've had employees disclose to me, Hey, Colin, I want to let you know, like I'm trying a new antidepressant. Um, you know, I, Hey, I'm going back to my therapist. I haven't seen him in three years, but I'm going through some stuff personally, et cetera. Fortunately, we already have a regular cadence and rhythm, whereas part of our check-ins on their career goals and stuff like that, there's space where they go, Hey, I just want to know, like, as you enter this week, it's like Monday, Tuesday, what's your headspace? Are you a five? Are you an eight? 
what's going on. And that provides the employee this space where like, I'm not saying, hey, do, have you, do you have a recent mental health diagnosis? Quick question. Just wanted to throw that out there. But it gives them the opportunity to share what they want. And then they don't have to, I can read between the lines, but I know, hey, there are five this week. And that gives me space to, I don't have to ask personal questions, but I can say, hey, what do you need from me? And rather than saying, hey, let me know if you need anything. That's, that's a really crap answer. A really great answer is, what do you need from me? Do you need, can I be like a, a support and kind of a listening ear right now? Do you want to talk through some of your brain space and, and maybe I can help sort priorities and I, I share from my own experience. Hey, I know when I'm overwhelmed or if I feel anxious or if I do whatever I know, and I just speak from personal experience. Sometimes if I just talk through what I got to do the day or this week, I can kind of figure out what's important and what I should focus on, you know, and I'll, I normally, I can try and share in that way. It's not always perfect, but for me personally, I love it when somebody gives me the options. Do you need advice right now? I'm happy to help, but likewise, I can be a sounding board or let's just sort through what you got going on. Love that. Yeah. A little bit more, um, probably natural feeling and, um, kind of true response in that regard, as opposed to just kind of a can, Oh, can I help you with something or let me know. I think it's probably like a default, maybe that they don't know what to say. So they go to that. Um, so at Fox Fuel, and you were kind of getting to this too, you've created, you have a great approach to ensuring that your employees feel psychologically safe. Can you share how you have created a culture that welcomes vulnerability and openness? And I know you kind of touched on it a little bit, but you have like a specific meeting that you're doing with your team and individuals each week and doing different approaches. So can you kind of dive into that a little bit and share kind of some of those approaches that you've done? A hundred percent. I just feel the need to disclose up front. I am not an HR professional and don't get me wrong. There are probably past employees that people like, Colt was terrible at this. I can't believe he's talking about culture. I, I like to think that over time we've cultivated, it's, it's by no means perfect, but at least I feel better when I explain this by talking about the fact that, you know, we've been around seven years and in year four, maybe five, our longest running employee that had been with us from the beginning, like we were on a road trip and she just said, we were talking about something and it came up. She was like, you're a really crap manager. And she was great. She was just like, I've been looking for, you know, a, a, a mentor and I had all this stuff and you were clear that you don't like to micromanage or manage. You just want to lead, which was great for a while, but like we need more. And so then from that, we went to Strengths Finder conferences and I, you know, I read the one minute manager and, uh, you know, it's the manager from Strengths Finder and Gallup and all them. And I've been, we went to emotional intelligence workshops and I, we had a consultant come through. So all of that. And then I would find the threads that I noticed a lot of different areas picked up on. And one of those was a very personal check-in. Um, that, that went hand in hand with the other times you check in with employees. And so as part of that, a regular cadence we have now that I, I can at least, I think it bears fruit. On every Tuesday with my team, you know, we manage accounts. Um, and we would normally say, hey, what are, you, what are you looking at this week? What do you need to prioritize? Like professional things. And then there's always a question in there that said, hey, you know, however much you want to share with your headspace, what's going on with you now? And that has created a space that has helped me, I like to think as a manager, because someone can say, I had a really rough conversation with my mom this weekend, and I do not feel real confident just being honest going into this week. And that would let me take pause throughout the week if we left a client meeting or there was feedback I had to share, or I realized, man, this person needs a win. 
And I'm not always great about praising folks. And so that would always give me a prompt. It's like this week, I've got to look for something to let a Kathy or a Lauren, um, you know, let them really feel accomplished and celebrated by the team. I'm making up these names real quick because I want to scrub it. So we've never employed a Kathy, but I'm just throwing these things out there. No, and I love your share of that, which is why I brought it up, because I think what you you touch on a little bit of what Jackie was sharing earlier in the show about that human side of that, that employee leader relationship. You know, you're really getting to know those employees at a level that they feel comfortable being able to come to you with what they might be going through and, and vice versa. You're, you're able to pick up on maybe some of those cues. So I think it was just such a great example um, of just a, a tactic that's clearly worked for you um, in your, in your leadership style. And so moving into, I mean, we talk a little bit about the focus internally on supporting employee well-being and trying to, you know, be aware of when they might need that win or when they might need that little bit of extra support. You also shared an example where Fox Fuel helped its clients to do the same. Um, I think it was regarding over the last year with COVID. Um, can you share that example um, uh, with with the audience um, about what you did and kind of some of the unique approaches that you took that um, kind of bared fruit for them? We have a healthcare client that has uh, across basically, you know, 22 counties, they've got 10 or 11,000 employees, they've got 10 hospitals. And uh, when COVID hit, you can imagine how slammed all these hospitals were. You're terrified. You have no idea how deadly this disease is, yet they've got to show up to work. They've got to wear all this new equipment. There are pieces of their facility that are locked down and taped over with plastic. Like, and it, it was terrifying. And then on top of that, you have a staffing shortage and those that are showing up are overworked. They're working long time. Like you want to talk about an incredibly negative impact on culture where it was, it was and then, you know, with the economy tanks and people are then worried about their jobs. And, and this company did so much to try and help. So during that time, what was great, we'd spun up a video, a video series because a lot of these employees don't check email, et cetera. But we, we tried to make a really accessible way where every week we would release one of two kinds of videos. One, a video from leadership. So from the CEO that was looking and, and speaking directly to all of his employees, not with like platitudes, but just saying, I appreciate you. I appreciate the effort that you're putting in. And, and I, we would get him on the video to name specific things. I know at home, you've got to, you're dealing with kids trying to do, you know, virtual learning. And I know that it, it's scary. And I just, and not, you know, I, I think he was just very honest and just saying, I appreciate so much what you're doing and the impact on patients. So we did that and we would produce these videos, put them out via email, put them on Facebook, all that stuff. And then likewise, uh, just inspiring stories. So we would come through and don all the PPE equipment and I would interview folks off camera and we would try to to highlight the inspiring stories of what was going on. So folks of like excellent care that was happening, people that had best friends on their team that they still got to show up to work with. So I don't like to think that it was silver lining everything. It was just reminders of what you do matters and hearing from leadership that I really, I, I appreciate what you're doing and what you're going through. Yeah, that's a great example. And sometimes those little reminders can go such a long way. Um, so 
in your opinion, what are some ways that organizations can better connect with their employees? And, you know, are there some out of the box or alternative approaches you feel can make a difference in helping to better connect with employees? Because you mentioned email, email, that is tough. I think in any organization, if you think of the the mass amount of email that most employees get, you know, there's got to be different approaches that a leader can consider when trying to get important communication, like here's where support's accessible to you, or, you know, here's a quick update on how this person did this really well, but just that other ways of, of being able to connect. People connect via story. That's something true long before companies and technology and all the stuff, right? So, and that's what Fox Fuel tries to lean into with our clients or whatever. So that's why, hey, there's email, but now more than ever with our clients, I try to focus on the fact that like stories, your driver and whether you are trying to get your employee to feel something or your prospect or client or whatever it is. I now don't think of email or Facebook or anything as the solution. I think of it as like the medium or the conduit where you can take these stories. So whether they're written stories or whatever, and and we're pushing video just because it's accessible by and large in any community you're in now, you got your phone, you're surrounded by screens. So if you can move to video, you can tell someone a story that will actually move them with everything that you can do there in two to three minutes versus a five page blog. Right. Um, and, and it's very accessible. And like what you guys are doing here with podcasts and stuff, making it accessible where it doesn't interrupt their day. So that's thing one that I, I would say um, things that folks can do. And then the second thing is a much longer burn, but it's just investing, I think, in the management styles of your folks. Um, the leaders are the ones that really hold the power at signaling what is psychologically safe. And so for me, I like to think that our team feels more comfortable when they hear me say it's a five and I'm not going to go into it, but you know, I, I, I had this fight or this incident, or I had this thing, or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm a little bit, I'm low energy this week and things like that signal that it's a okay for you to share the same is thing one, encouraging uh, folks to do that. And then thing two is just equipping everybody with common language, I think. So we've used all kinds of stuff, but Um, You know, the common language that we've used is things like radical candor or letting people use an Enneagram or StrengthsFinder or Myers-Briggs. All all of that just gives people common language where they can admit, hey, you know, one of my strengths is not presenting. One of my strengths is not working in data. And then it gives people some more psychological safety that they can own what they're bad at. And then share that with a manager so they don't have to pretend to be a jack of all trades without a weakness. And, you know, displaying and naming weakness is like the definition of vulnerability, which creates psychological safety. So. Great. And so similar uh, to asking um, what I asked Jackie is, you know, what is something that when you look at your career, what are you most proud of? Um, I'll try to rattle off because I was, Jackie gave a great answer and I loved it. And so I didn't want to like say, yeah, me too. Um, but we had, uh, to go through some real quick, cause I'm trying to think about this, but like, we just had most recently a recent thing. Like we had an employee that just left because, you know, she's ready for the next chapter in her career and we're excited for her. And when she left, she cried in telling clients in meetings about it. She cried in her exit interview and all that stuff. 
because what she wants to do professionally is great. And, and managing teams and stuff like that, like Foxville kind of has an, an intentional angle to stay a, a small entrepreneurial group of nine, 10, 11 folks. Um, but what was great was in the exit interview and some, you know, uh, words that we exchanged via email, et cetera, she talked about, she went through a rough time in her life and she said, I came in and I am leaving Foxville an entirely different person how confident I am, my approach to life, my approach to relationships, standing up for myself. To me, there's a lot of stuff you can look back. But when I think about the kinds of impact that we have on folks, I like the idea that people won't say, oh, yeah, I was an A at Fox feeling that I did this. But on the inside, I love to think that like we have folks come through our doors that may be with us for a couple of years or however long. And then they leave and say, I, I, that was a time where, you know, don't get me wrong. You got your ups and downs. And I'm, I'm far from a perfect manager. Uh, I'm probably a crap manager on some days, but that someone that leaves overall and says, man, I, I, it was a time where I felt supported and I grew personally in that time that, that means the world to me. That's a great example. It's always great that you know, that you had that positive mark on somebody's life and career. Um, so if our listeners wanted to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? You can email me Colton at foxfuelcreative.com or hit me up on LinkedIn or whatever. Or if you go to our website, foxfuelcreative.com, there's a thing that's going to pop up and say, Hey, quit snooping, grab drinks with Colton or something like that. So yeah, any of those. Great. So now we're going to hear a word from our sponsor. Workplace MVP is sponsored by R3 Continuum. R3 Continuum is a global leader in providing expert, reliable, responsive, and tailored behavioral health crisis and security solutions to promote workplace well-being and performance in the face of an ever-changing and often unpredictable world. Learn more about how R3 Continuum can tailor a solution for your organization's unique challenges by visiting r3c.com today. So now I'm going to bring both of our, our MVPs together and ask some questions um, to the both of you. So first question is, how can leaders create a work environment that is psychologically safe? Now, I know you both have touched on a few different components of that, but if there was one particular way, what would, what would you say? And let's go ahead and start with you, Colton. I'd go back to what I said before, hands down, leaders can um, find spaces to A, make it clear that they can share their vulnerabilities and share their headspace, and then to create the regular rhythm of an ongoing conversation, not like, hey, can I check in on your on your mental health diagnosis? But instead, hey, can you share with me, like, what's your headspace like this week? How confident do you feel? I, I'd, I'd love to talk about that to see how I can support you. Perfect. And how about you, Jackie? Um, there are, there are, believe it or not, HR modules now where, um, and I'm forgetting the name of it, gosh, uh, but basically it, it incorporates um, this sentiment aspect of performance, of, of work, sort of a, a, a touch base, if you would. And so I, I agree with Colton, this idea of a, a cadence. Um, where so that it, if, if you've established a cadence of meetings where the discussion is around the work as well as sentiment, so how are you feeling, you know, how are you feeling about work, about your work, is a lot less, um, it, it's more accessible than, to Colton's point, <laughs> how's your mental health? Um, and, and so there are actually sort of like um, 
uh, gosh, I, I forget. Gosh, I was actually a part of an organization that had this that was quite interesting because it, it was a weekly check-in. Um, and I, as a manager, would check in with each member of my team every week where we would, as part, they would complete a, um, a, a, a module, a web module that basically says, okay, here are their, you know, what their priorities, their five priorities were, their four priorities were for the week, um, how they felt about themselves um, and their priorities. And, uh, and then we would talk about it. So it, it would, there was this, there was this, confluence of the work as well as the self and um and and I thought that was that was really helpful and useful to them because say if if they had a bad week they could talk about it from the perspective of you know I I you know these were things that I didn't think that I felt that I didn't that I did very well at all um I had a couple nights where you know I had a my baby was crying or kept me up all night or or whatever. So it, it just allowed for more human conversation to happen in a corporate environment. Now, you know, Colton, you're, you're, you have a, you're wonderful because you're, you are the shiny, you have a workplace that is accessible. It's friendly, it's safe, but, and, you know, in a large organization of even, gosh, even 50, a hundred people, it, when you start having department heads and, you know, when there is a talent organization, uh, a dedicated talent, when there's an employee handbook, that's basically my litmus test. When a company has an employee handbook, then it becomes a little less, I think that managing and leading becomes a little less human and a little more robotic, it, but it doesn't have to be so. Um, and I, uh, you know, I, I think I, and I hope that, we will, as a workplace, as um, as businesses, be more like yours, Colton, than the large sort of thousand-person corporations that are out there. Thank you very much. That's very sweet. I don't know that all of my employees would say that, but I like uh, I like to think so. So that's great. So looking at these employers and kind of to your point, it's almost like what you're saying is that when the um, Jackie, when the employer gets a little bit bigger, they almost have to be more intentional about making that a cultural priority um, with their organization, as opposed to, you know, like it has to be kind of embedded into how, like in their handbook of how they're going to approach that. Um, so if you were looking at employers, what do you want them to know when it comes to mental health with their employees? Like what would be like kind of, you know, the message you would want them to be aware of? You know, if they're not haven't educated themselves, if you know they're being told by an employee they have this diagnosis, what 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 do you want to? What message would you send to them? Gosh, um, be less afraid of litigation and more concerned about the person. I didn't mean to rhyme; that was not intentional. But um, large companies worry about, I mean, they're about risk mitigation. I mean, I, I hate to say this, but in HR departments, every HR department that I've come into contact with has been about risk mitigation and, you know, liability and managing liability. Uh, at the end of the day, we are people, we're humans. And if, if we led and managed by 
by just being human uh, with compassion and empathy, I, I, I truly believe that, that those activities, those behaviors will naturally fall into place. It's the human thing to do. You see someone in distress, what do you do? You want to help. Uh, what makes being at the workplace any different? Well, it's the fear of a lawsuit. So I totally believe that if if corporations can slowly retreat from this litigation, fear of litigation mindset and more of a compassion um, mindset of a additive versus subtractive mindset, I, I think we we will see more healthy workplaces. We will see healthier employees all around. How about you, Colton? Uh, I'd lean into one of the things that Jackie said. I would say the uh, a very clear and intentional investment into emotional intelligence, that umbrella. Um, she used the word empathy, which to me is the largest thing more than finding just the right curriculum or mental health check-in, et cetera. It, investing in that at the individual level is the ongoing effort to keep finding the resources and things and spot the small elements. Like, to give an example, I, I spun up a small group that I ran for seven years on mental health or folks would get together. And there were ridiculous things that I didn't realize now that HR is rolling out all these wellness programs and things. And I didn't realize that for those with eating disorders, all of the wellness campaigns right now that healthcare companies push that do weight loss challenges and stuff are ridiculously triggering where you manage as a team and you're losing weight and pounds and the language and the things that are celebrated. And um, there, there's no real clear curriculum that would do that. I, I, that's a checklist. The biggest thing is if you invest in emotional intelligence, your team and your folks, it, it, it's the ability to dynamically look at things in an ongoing way and exercise a greater degree of empathy, which to me is, is the solve more so than a book everybody reads together or whatever. It's a continual emotional intelligence improvement. Those are both great points. I hadn't even thought about that with the the weight loss challenge. And you see that quite often, especially after Biggest Loser came out, you know, the Biggest Loser challenge is everywhere. It's very interesting. I so do if- want to, sorry, Jamie, I, yeah. I, I do want to add, there's, there's, a, I completely forgot. They're so important. So there's another whole group of, of people, a population, they would be founders of color. So founders of color, startup founders of color face a completely different, a, a whole new layer of stressors, especially when they are raising funds. Um, there is trauma for founders of color when they're raising funds. Um, this this may not be the case this year or the last maybe two years, but I can tell you that. Um, so we we have a we have a startup circle, sort of a wellness circle where founders, uh, primarily founders of color would come together uh, to talk about, you know, the more of their personal and health issues. But but what comes about, what what surfaces often is how they are, it's, it's the microaggressions that happen on a daily basis when they're raising funds from primarily non-person uh, of color venture capitalists <laughs> and, and how they are, uh, the, the questions are different. The tone is different. The assumptions 
that these venture cap- capitalists make are different. I'll give you an example. There was this, um, there is this very prominent, now prominent female founder, uh, African-American female founder of a startup that is that also has a social group, social good uh, sort of uh, mission. And she actually, one of her investors actually said to her, thinking that he was being so nice, he said, wow, I'm really glad I listened to my wife who suggested that I invested in your startup um, as part of, you know, to, to ensure that we were being inclusive. But I'm so glad that you your startup is doing so well and I just wasn't expecting the returns. Mm. I'm paraphrasing. But, um, but that is an, a microaggression and it, it causes, it caused her to doubt herself. Like, did I... Did my startup get funded because it was a good idea and we have a strong team and there's a business here? Or did we get funded because I'm black? Um, and, and that, you know, so that that's a good part. The bad part, that's the good, that's a good story. The bad story is, um, and this happened at TechCrunch. Um, TechCrunch tech has a, you know, they used to have twice a year, this huge confab where they would have a, a startup alley of sorts. And the founders, a whole bunch of Black founders that I know of who've ever been to those, wherein the investors were primarily non-African-American, um, non-persons of color, would actually physically avoid their boots of these founders of color. And it, there's no reason for, for this except for, you know, I, you know, just it, it is pure discrimination. And this is what they have to deal with. So we in these conversations, in these uh, support circles, circles we call them, uh, I mean, these, these are the additional stressors that startup founders of color go through. Uh, that are quite different, and to exacerbate the issue, um, there the percentage of psychologists, psychiatrists who look like them, very small percentage, which is difficult as well. So that that is one of those you know little known um, challenges and issues that are that still plague sort of the mental health uh, sector and uh, category. Yeah, so it sounds like, I mean, there could be a lot of different kind of triggering events and different things that might lead to some of those mental health concerns, you know, in all varieties of different businesses, whether it's startup or it's a very interesting point. Um, so if you were going to leave, you know, one advice on the table for a leader who's listened to this podcast that you want them to just take with them. And, you know, if they do something with it, fantastic. But if there's just one thing that you could, you could leave that would help to make a difference in their work environment. Um, and we'll start with Colton. What would that be? What would that one piece of advice that you want to leave to that, that, that leader? No pressure, right? What's the one way to improve mental health in your thousand person organization? Um, I I'm torn between like the one that's really tactical and easy is like, just go create your, uh, your cost center line item, whatever for emotional intelligence training is thing. One, the other thing that's harder is like 
just the idea of encouraging vulnerability between your leaders and, you know, those that they're supporting. So. Great. And how about you, Jackie, if there was Um, one piece of advice? Sure. Um, It was a thing that I asked uh, that I had my, my husband do. So I I figured if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for the rest of us. Um, Pick up mental health for dummies, the book. Get educated. Yeah. Get educated. I love it. (laughs) So thank you both for being on the show, for sharing your personal experiences, sharing approaches you've used, your, your expertise around this, this topic and for letting us celebrate you by being on the show. Um, and you know, we really appreciate the advice and and suggestions you've left the listeners. Uh, we appreciate you and I'm sure your organizations and staff and coworkers and friends and everyone else involved in your lives do too. Uh, We also want to thank our show sponsor, R3 Continuum, for supporting the Workplace MVP podcast. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you've not already done so, make sure to subscribe so you get our most recent episodes and other resources. You can also follow our show on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at Workplace MVP. If you are a Workplace MVP or know someone who is, we want to know. Email us at info at workplace-mvp.com. Thank you all for joining us and have a great rest of your day.